Amen. All right. Somebody take a, a guess at what book we're going to be in tonight. Acts. How'd you know? <laughs> I like that. If you come up with one, let me know. <laughs> Woo. All right. Tonight, we're going to be picking up in our study of the book of Acts. And um, if you remember, last week, we talked about Simon the Sorcerer. Okay, we're going to be in chapter 8, and we will probably start here in just a moment. Let's see, probably around verse 26. So, 820. Ooh, somebody was already there and ready to rock and roll. But what we had seen... You know, everybody, when they talk about Simon the Sorcerer, they talk about this person who was pretending, you know, uh, gave the appearance of being a Christian and then is exposed for it. But there's something really bigger that's going on there. Yes, there is the warning, the warning of, of not playing a game, the, the warning of being genuine. It's the same thing that we were taught whenever you go back to Ananias and Sapphira. You see them presenting themselves in one way and actually deceptive if you get down into it, but you know, to be something that they are not. And God, and even G Jesus had spoken on this about truth in the inner man, truth in the innermost parts. God wants us to be real, okay? He wants us to love him sincerely in spirit and in truth. God is not interested in lip service because God never gives us lip service. God, whenever he speaks, whatever he says, whatever he has promised, you can count on it. God keeps his word. And likewise, God expects us as his children to be people of truth, people of integrity. That's the reason why the Bible says we do not have to make oaths. Rather, we shouldn't even make oaths. And the reason why it says that is the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You shouldn't have to swear. If you look at somebody and say, I will do this, the Bible says do it. The Bible says if you say, I won't do this, don't. Okay? It doesn't mean that you have to stand there and take an oath, or you shouldn't have to stand there and take an oath. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and be a person of integrity. Well, God, his love, his life, his grace, everything that God says, it is absolute truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not. Okay, So one of the things that gets me about this passage is these are Samaritans. A lot of times we read this, we just go right through it, but we have to go back and you look at the Gospels and you see the animosity, the anger. As a matter of fact, let's call it what it is, spitting hatred at one another that happened between the Jews and Samaritans. Now, I know last week I didn't go through it, but I am going to come back and just touch on it. Remember, that back during the dispersion, the exile, there were those Jews, okay, that decided to intermarry with other cultures. And those Jews that chose to remain within their own confines, okay, hated and despised those other people. They thought to, and to themselves that they were half-breeds, that these people had not been faithful or remained faithful. And those people loved God too. Okay, it just shows you how we can get things, and I have no idea why somebody's calling me in the middle of the service. I'm going to get them later, you watch. But anyway, this animosity grew so much that whenever Jesus was passing through the regions, 
with James and John, the sons of thunder, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down out of heaven and consume these people? Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't know what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man has come to seek to save that which is lost, okay? And uh, you will see this with a woman at the well. As she is sitting by the well, Jesus comes to her. She is surprised, number one, that a rabbi would speak to her in public, which was not customary at all. But number two, how is it that a Jew would even take time to talk to her, much less ask anything from her? Because the Jews had no dealings, that's a nice way of saying, the Jews hate the Samaritans. And then you've got this story of the good Samaritan, which to them would have been an oxymoron. You didn't put good and Samaritan in the same sentence, okay? The idea that a Samaritan would show brotherly love, kindness, and graciousness to somebody, that was just unheard of, okay? But yet Jesus showed that. So this animosity of calling each other dogs, if you remember when the Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus and was asking for mercy, you know, Jesus made the comment, not that Jesus espoused this, as we see later, but that Jesus was quoting the attitude of that day. And the attitude was this, they're not worthy. God shouldn't share his love and gifts with those people. And Jesus even made the comment, you know, uh, is it good to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs? That's what they called them, dogs. That was the attitude of the day. Why should we take those gifts that God has given us and throw it to the dogs? And then the woman makes that incredible statement of faith. Yes, Lord, but don't the dogs at least get the crumbs that fall from the master's table? And Jesus looks at it and says, yeah, you... Darn skippy, yeah, you did. <laughs> okay, forgive me, you can't say that in church. Blot that off the, uh, the teleprompter up there. But he said, yes, yes, you're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, go your way, your loved one's whole. You talk about great faith. Just because there has been a cultural tide that hates a given people or a given this does not mean that everybody fall into that. If you want to get technical, how many Christians are hated? For horrible things that, or let me say those that have claimed to be Christians and have done great atrocities in this world over the years. But that doesn't mean that every Christian is that way. So there was this hatred, seething hatred, so much so that the Samaritans had built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. That's what the woman at the well is talking about so that they didn't have to even worship with the Jews. And, of course, they adhered to the Torah. Pretty much that was it, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. But you see these people as the gospel of Jesus Christ because of, remember, persecution. The church was persecuted, and whenever it was persecuted, these people spread throughout the countryside, and they started preaching the gospel. Well, one of those groups of people to whom the gospel came were the Samaritans. And even Jesus himself. I know I've said this more times than I can count. If you recall how Jesus said we'd be witnesses, you will be witnesses unto me. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So Samaria was always in view. As a matter of fact, the whole earth is in view. 
And that's God's view, because we talk about this as well. When God spoke to Abraham and promised him that he would have a seed, Jesus Christ, that would rule forever, that prophet like Moses, okay? But whenever he said this, he said, in your seed, Abraham, the entire earth will be blessed. It's always been everyone, not just one, but everyone. Although he does choose his people through whom to make that message known. So the gospel comes to Samaria and they welcome it. They welcome it. Which, as we pointed out, regardless of Simon the sorcerer, this news, whenever it comes back to Jerusalem, Peter and John go because the Samaritans are, because nobody's just going to sit around. And I hate to say this. But whenever somebody says, hey, you know, the Samaritans are just as much our brothers and sisters in Christ as anybody else. If you didn't think that was going to stir something up, you got another thing coming. So what do the apostles do? They go, they see it, they lay hands on him. The Holy Spirit comes on people just like he came on the Jews. There's no disputing it. You're going to see this again whenever they pray over the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, that the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles and is given just as freely to Gentiles as it is given to anyone else. People, these are significant, significant, I would say, history-transforming events that we're reading about right now. Because the last time I checked, most of us in here were Gentiles. Although if you're Jewish, we're good. And for those of you that are not, I just said life. It's okay. Okay, so let's start in verse 26. So now an angel of the Lord. Now remember, the Samaritans, the villages, the countryside, they've received Christ. This was as a result of Philip, okay, one of our deacons. You remember we have Stephen who was martyred. Now we got Philip who is ministering. Uh, signs, wonders, and miracles are taking place, not necessarily through apostles, but through lay people that have been set apart for the, the work of the Lord. Well, Philip hasn't stopped. He's continuing to minister. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Okay, now that is interesting. Angel comes to him and speaks to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert area. So verse 27, so he arose and he went and behold a man of Ethiopia. Now what is all this, man? We just got everybody coming into the kingdom of God. Now I want you to come back and think about this. Now I was doing this kind of tongue in cheek, but it's true. We've got Ethiopians going to be swept into the kingdom of God. This fellow's going to go on to evangelize even his own countryside. Okay, if you look at some of the things that the early church father Irenaeus said, I mean, this fellow goes on to minister, but hold on for just a minute. So we've got an Ethiopian that's coming in here. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost, you know, that dreaded thing that whenever we talk about in churches, everybody goes crazy and thinks that we're, we're, we're going to lose our minds. Uh, the speaking in tongues, which was intended to unite the church, that was intended to bring us all together, and some reason we drive a wedge between everybody. Uh, but anyway, what did it say? There were people from all over the known world that were there. And when the Holy Spirit came, 
They heard those people speaking in their languages, languages the speakers did not know, but they heard them in their own native tongues praising God, magnifying God, prophesying. They were hearing uh, out of many nations one voice, magnifying God. Well, guess what? Ethiopians are part of that voice too. So let's take a look at this too. So as he's traveling down this road to the south, it says, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under uh, Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, I don't know. Does anybody have a different spelling on Candace in their Bible, Bible like K-A-N or C-A-N-D-A-K-E? Does anybody have that in their Bible? I'm just curious. C-A-N-D-A. Is there a K-E on anybody's Bible? Just K-E on there? The reason why I'm saying that is I should have gone back and, and uh, researched this, but the term for an Ethiopian queen, now her name very well may have been Candace, okay? I don't, I don't know. But I will tell you this, that all Ethiopian queens, well, the king himself in Ethiopia was supposedly a descendant of the sun itself, okay, in the sky. And he uh, basically take care of all the hierarchical things that happened in the kingdom, but the regular business of running the kingdom was always done by the queen. And her name was, uh, let's see, Kanda, Kandake, 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 Kandake. I can't pronounce it, but it sounds like Candace. I need to go back and re, uh, uh, study that again, but that it was the name of all queens for that time period. So I'll let you know if that is actually an attempt to speak of her position, or if that was actually her name. I'll let you know that next time. I just noticed that in the, uh, the scripture itself. But anyway, that would mean that he was the servant to the highest authority under the king and all of the land. So very, very uh, powerful individual. So the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, which means that he was probably a proselyte, okay? He was somebody who had converted to Judaism and was coming at this time to worship and probably brought gifts and everything else as he came to worship. Now, this is interesting to me uh, on a couple of different levels. Now, why, you know, people say, well, shame if it's interesting, you big whooping deal. Well, you're right. But there's these little nuggets of truth in here that really, really speak to my heart. So, you remember the centurion that sent representatives to Jesus and said to Jesus, you know, uh, I have a servant who is very, very sick. Will you come and, and heal, or will you heal him? And Jesus said, yeah, I'll come and heal him. And of course, whenever Jesus is on the way, he sends another word. He says, I am a man under authority. He said, and I recognize authority in you. He said, if I tell a person to go, he goes. If I tell him to come or do this or do that, all I have to do is speak the word and it's done. Jesus, I see that same authority in you. Speak the word. You don't even have to come under my roof. I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. Speak the word and this person will be healed. Jesus turns around and looks at a bunch of Jewish folks and says, I haven't found faith this great and all of Israel, okay? So, of course, he ends up he healing the person. Jesus speaks the word. But notice what they said about the centurion. They said that this man 
is, is one who loves our people, has built us a synagogue, one who is worthy is what they would say. Somebody who, you know, if you wanted to help somebody, yeah, this guy certainly deserves to be helped. He was a proselyte. He was a Gentile. He was a person who had converted to Judaism. Okay? So you're seeing the same thing here. Here is somebody who is a convert. But notice him coming to Jerusalem to worship indicates also his devoutness, his, his love for God. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that I understand the mind of God because who does ultimately accept his love and his grace which he pours out for you and me. But God's wisdom, God's thoughts, God's ways are higher than our own. But think about this individual that he is showing mercy and love to, the gospel coming directly to him, and also what he will do with that knowledge whenever he goes back home. Powerful people. So he comes to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, it says, was returning, so he's leaving Jerusalem and he's going back home, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. A lot of powerful things that are going to come out of this scripture. First of all, where is he reading in Isaiah? And it's all it's going to speak very much of Christ in there, and you're going to see the passage that he's at. You can see that this is a divine appointment, everything that's taking place for him to even be at this passage. But it shows you another thing about faithfulness in the study of the Word of God among a person who, who is, you know, he's not a Christian yet, but he is in that transition, you know, from, from the revealed Word of God to the ultimate fulfillment of the Word of God, coming from the new, old into the new. But notice he is reading, and he doesn't know what he's studying. He doesn't know what it means. And yet he still studies, and he still reads, because he wants to know God. Okay? Let's see what happens. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, God speaks to Philip and says, Go near and overtake that chariot. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said to him, do you understand what you are reading? Because whenever he heard the passage, which we're going to hear in just a minute, he's like, whoa, that's about Jesus. So he asked him, he says, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, then he said, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I know the Word of God? How can I understand the truth that is here? You know, these are scrolls that were written, you know, so many hundreds or thousand years before me. And, and how am I to understand what is written here unless somebody teach me? I'm not trained in rabbinic tradition is what he's telling him. And he asked Philip to come, to come up and sit with him. The place in Scripture which he was reading is this. God bless the reading of his word. It says, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth, meaning the crucifixion of the Son of God is what he's talking about there. So, 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or from some other man? People, you can't set up a more divine appointment than that. 
A person's got the Bible says, look, I've been reading this. What is this? Can you help me understand it? Why, yes, I can. I'll be happy to. Be honored to. So verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this of himself or some of the man? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture, preached Jesus to him, preached Jesus Christ, the message. Ultimately, it comes down to this. He's going to tell him the reason why he is being punished, the reason why he is like a lamb led to the slaughter, and that is for our sins. God sent his son to die for you and me, to bear our sins, that we might know God but also be forgiven. And uh, so he begins proclaiming this, proclaiming Jesus to him. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, obviously a lot of things have taken place. Philip has taught him about Jesus. There has been a good understanding to take place. So as they go down the road, they come up on some water. So it seems to me that he's also talked to him about baptism because they're getting ready to go straight into it. And they came upon some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Why can't, you know, I, I know about Christians being baptized. Why, why can't I be baptized? What needs to happen? Then Philip said to him, catch this. People, I'm, I'm not a holy man. I'm not, I'm not trying to put myself on any kind of pedestal or anything like that. But many times there is a reason why I ask certain questions. You will notice that anytime we're in the baptistry, I ask a question. Who have you put your faith in? Who's your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. I will ask the next question. Do you love him with all of your heart? Yes. Are you going to serve him all the days of your life? Yes. Then we go on to baptism. Because baptism is a showing forth of a spiritual reality. Dying with him in baptism, raising to walk in the newness of life, okay? We are identifying in a very, uh, I would say as a spectacle, but for everybody to say, a very real way we are identifying with Christ through his death and resurrection. But it says here, he says, what prohibits me from being baptized? You know, what do I need to do? And so Philip said to him, if you believe with your whole heart. Catch that. If you believe with your whole heart, you may be baptized. That's the reason why a lot of times don't, please, I'm not here for a denominational this, that, and the other. There's certain things that other denominations get really well, certain things that we might get really well, but all, none of us are perfect, okay? Except for hardcore Baptists. Just kidding, just kidding. So anyway, we'll get in trouble here. So he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, listen to his confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everything that Philip was teaching him was to that end that this is the Son of God, this is the promise of God, this is everything that you've been reading and have been taught about the Scriptures, the fulfillment is in Him. He has died. The Lamb of God has died for our sins, but He did not just lay in a grave. Three days later, He was resurrected. His Father resurrected Him. He is alive today. We witnessed Him ascend into heaven. Okay? 
So he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And then he had a really neat experience. Can you imagine this? He went down into the water, and he baptized him. Verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. We call that being translated, okay? Uh, Any Star Trek fans? He got beamed, okay? (laughs) Y'all got to lighten up. I'm telling you, you really do. You got to lighten up. So anyway, he comes up out of the water and literally he is called away. Philip is pow, taken from one place to another. And so this man, he comes up rejoicing and now he's going to go proclaim the good news himself. All right, let's see here. Verse 40, it says, but Philip was found at Azotus. Okay, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That would be, I believe, Ashdod. But anyway, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. All right. So he's continuing to minister. He's continuing to do his thing. Now, what has happened up to this point, and I've got just a couple more minutes. I won't keep you to, to the exact second. But something that has been introduced is this character of Saul. He keeps popping his head in here. Well, God's getting ready to grab Saul. My personal conviction, based on the scripture, you don't have to agree with me on this. I'm not the final authority. But the thing that gets me about Paul is his absolute, unwavering commitment and dedication to what he believes. And what he has done in the traditions that he has been trained, he believes that he is being as zealous for God as he can possibly be. He is doing everything in his mind to defend his faith. That is the faith of his ancestors. And this idea that he has been told is that these Christians have been destroying that and that they are claiming all kinds of things like wanting to destroy the temple, wanting to destroy the traditions and the laws of Moses and all these kind of things. So he has a very bad taste in his mouth of Christians, but his heart is still hungry for God. And God in his infinite mercy and wisdom has looked down and said, you know what? I'm going to get you. Saul, for all of your zealousness, it's time that you understand what's really going on. So chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, you remember, he's been wreaking havoc of the church, imprisoning people, consenting to death. But it says, then Saul, still breathing, breathing threats of murder, yes, One of the people that was killed was Stephen. We we read about that. Yes, Christians were dying. Breathing uh, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. So he goes to his highest religious authority. And he asked letters from the high priest to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he were to find any people who were what? Of the way. You'll, you, you'll hear people say that. You probably heard me say it. But that's what Christians were called, a lot of them. They were called people of the way. What way? 
Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. People of the way. So if he found any uh, who were people of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's going to make a spectacle out of them. He's going to wipe these Christians out. But notice this. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. No question where the light came from. This light appears. This blinding light just, boom, appears right in front of him. Verse 4, it says, Then he fell to the ground. That's the reason why some people have said this, and, I, and I've adopted it too. You know, it says Paul got knocked off his high horse. Well, not theoretically, but practically he did. He got knocked directly off his horse straight to the ground. So then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, I know we have talked about this probably more times than we can count, but people, you have got to get this. It has to sink down into your heart. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. He didn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting the church? Why did you do this to Stephen? Why, why are we doing this to other folks that are out there? Why are you traveling the house to house and hurting those folks? This voice has not identified himself yet, but think of it. It's very personal. Because Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done it to these, the least of my brethren, you have done it unto. When we love someone in his name, we're loving him. When we hurt others, okay? Especially people that are his, we are hurting him. Attacks upon the church are not simply attacks upon the church. They are attacks upon him. If you remember, going back, Samuel, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. Samuel says, you already got a king. No, 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 we want an earthly king. We won't have anything but an earthly king. What did God say? Saul, do not get upset. It is not you that they have rejected. They have rejected me, me. So the voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, good question, because look at how he responds. And he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. Now you have to catch the weight of that. He didn't say, I am the Messiah. I am the prophet like Moses. I am the son of man. I am this, that, and the other. He was going out looking for people of the way and anyone who preached in the name of Jesus. So Jesus broke it down plain and simple. I am Jesus. Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And it is hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks, depending upon what translation that you have there. But I want you to understand, and we've talked about this too. You know, today we have other instruments to help motivate animals, right? If you've got an animal, it doesn't want to get up in the trailer. If it doesn't want to go where it's supposed to go, we have these nice little sticks that have electricity running through them. We can get you moving, Okay. I think Dad's used a couple of those on me in his time. But anyway, we'll get them going. Well, what they used to do is they make sharp sticks. And you could go up there and prod them and get them going. The only thing you did to yourself by kicking one of those is you hurt yourself. 
So what he was saying is it's hard for you to keep kicking against the pricks. Well, wait a minute. What's the, what's the imagery there? The imagery is that something has pushed him in one direction, but he keeps kicking back against it, which probably, just saying, throwing this out here, he's having a little bit of an issue in his heart reconciling all that he's been doing. So he said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, so he, Paul, or excuse me, Saul, he'll use the Greek term in just a minute, trembling and astonished, I would imagine so, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, what would you have said? I mean, here you are, bent, probably just got done abusing somebody else, imprisoning somebody, probably making your jokes, mocking all these kind of people of the way, and the next thing you know, you've just met Jesus. He has just stepped out of heaven and stood before you, right there in the air. You know, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuted. Ooh, it is 7 o'clock. Is that a watch or a phone? I'm just curious. Nobody's getting in trouble. I'm getting so excited. That's cool. From now on, I want that to go off in church. Actually, you want one that's better. We'll get, we'll get one of the triangles, and then we we know it's time to eat. We can do it. Okay, so I lied to you. I did keep you over just a second. Okay, so here we go. We'll stop there, but I'll do it this way. So think about it. All of this has happened. You've done these things, and then Jesus appears. There he is. And he says, I am Jesus. That's the one you're persecuting. And then you realize, oh, my goodness, I have turned my back on the truth. I have been fighting against the truth. What do you say to Jesus? You know, we, we probably say in our minds, well, you'd say, I'm sorry. You'd say, God, please forgive me. Uh, I think at this moment he's terrified because it talks about him being astonished. But look at trembling and astonished. He's probably saying, Lord, what do I have to do? What do you want me to do? So trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. It's a cliffhanger, isn't it? got to be here next week anyway does anybody tonight need any special prayer anybody special prayer for anyone tonight we need that we're here i'm looking 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 okay if everyone would stand let's join our hearts let me get down here off this platform all level ground let's cross Oh, Father God, we worship you, and we thank you. We thank you for this word, for this time of worship, and this time just to be together as your people. We pray that you would bless everyone that is here, Father. There are so many downstairs that are working. There's people that are upstairs that are working with our young. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to be with them and to help them. By your grace, God, help us to do those things that you have called us to do. Father, help us, it's anyone we come in contact with, to be salt and to be light, to love them and to serve them. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, quick announcement. I want to make sure I said it. 
So the Awanas training, somebody help me out up there. It's coming up on the 6th. Is that right in Georgia? Where is where's she at? There she is. So this the 6th. And if they need to register, they go online and register? Before Sunday evening, if you're interested in the Awanas training that will be taking place in Georgia or if you have any questions about it, please get in touch with Miss April or, of course, Miss Brenda right there, and we'll make sure we get you squared away, okay? And no choir practice tonight, so you... What was that, 9.30? 9.30 at Sharp. Right, we're going to have to cut somebody. I'm just kidding, go ahead. Eight thirty for oh for everybody who's uh, getting their sea legs, well lake legs, and you're gonna be having that delicious meal. Eight thirty, be departing from here. Okay, what was that one? A.M. That's right, in in the morning, not 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 Shane time. That would be eight thirty p.m., but eight thirty a.m. Friday morning. All right. Anything else I need? I need you. I love you. God bless you. You're dismissed. I have something for you.